The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Brought to you by Bank of America Merrill Lynch. Seeing what others have seen, but uncovering what others may not. Global research that helps you harness disruption. Voted top global research firm five years running. Merrill Lynch, Pierce, Fenner & Smith, Incorporated. When I got out and I had access to the internet again, and I started to realize that there were all these other ways, like all, the, all these other points at which race can play a role, such as, you know, rebounding from something like this. Um, you know, there's there's some data I've read that that white people with a record are more likely to get hired than black people without one. And, you know, that that's kind of shocking. Hello and welcome back to Bloomberg Benchmark, a show about the global economy. I'm Scott Landman, an economics editor with Bloomberg News in Washington. And I'm Kate Smith, an editor with Bloomberg here in New York. All right. Well, if you're looking for a break from this post-election madness, you've come to the right place. Today on Benchmark, we're turning our attention to an often overlooked corner of the U.S. economy – our prison population. So here are some numbers that we found really interesting. The U.S. accounts for one-fifth of the world's prisoners, even though the nation only has a 20th of the world's population. That's right. The U.S. has 2.2 million people in prison, and that's more people than China actually has in prison. And China has a population that's four times bigger than the United States. All told, the U.S. imprisons almost 1% of its population. That, that excludes other forms of detention, but it's still you know, a pretty high number. And it's actually the highest proportion in the world when you look at the share of the population that's in jail. So here at Bloomberg, we obviously love superlatives. So hearing highest proportion, that got us thinking. Two questions. Are there too many people in jail? And is that very fact, you know, the extension that we make it tough for ex-cons to get back to jobs, is it holding back economic growth? Well, joining us today to explore the issue is a woman in her early 30s who is intimately familiar with what it's like to go to prison and what it's like to rejoin the workforce uh, afterwards. Kerry Blakinger was a senior at Cornell, the Ivy League University in upstate New York, when she was busted six years ago for heroin possession, six ounces to be precise. Kerry pleaded guilty to criminal possession of a controlled substance, a Class B felony, and served 21 months in prison out of a two-and-a-half-year sentence. She did most of her time at Albion, a medium security facility for women in upstate New York. Following her release in September 2012, Carrie managed to get reinstated at Cornell, graduated with a degree in English in December 2014, and got herself a job at the Ithaca Times. She since moved on to the New York Daily News and more recently moved to Texas, where she's now working as a general assignment reporter at the Houston Chronicle. Uh, she's on the phone with us now from Houston. Carrie, thank you so much for joining us today. Hi, thanks for having me. Carrie, let's get one thing out of the way, something you've been open about discussing. You're white. How, how much did your race play in your ability to rebound from prison, earn your degree, and get a job in the industry of your choosing? Well, you know, I 
I, I think that uh, it, it obviously it played a huge role, but uh, it's really difficult to point to an exact moment and say, oh, this happened because I, I was white. Uh, it's something that I sort of gradually realized in looking at data that there are um, a lot of indications that statistically this rebound would have been less likely if I were a minority. Um, I think that before going to prison, I, I hadn't really thought a lot about the racial disparities in the criminal justice system. Like, I, I sort of knew that they existed, as I think everyone does, but it didn't really hit home until I was actually seeing it in front of me. Uh, and it, even then, it was not immediately apparent because in the county that I got arrested in, it's so over, overwhelmingly white that the county jail is also overwhelmingly white. It's uh, in Tompkins County, which is where Ithaca is. The county jail is somewhere around 20-something percent black, uh, which is much lower than most other incarcerated populations. But that's because the, the town is only about 5 percent black. So it wasn't until I went to state prison um, after about uh, 10 months that I that I was seeing, you know, around half of the population was black. And, um, you know, and, and that is that makes it much more obvious that sort of drives home these statistics that you might read about Um you know, I mean, when you hear people's stories and, and you realize why they're there and uh, the differences in what sort of crimes land people in prison. So, you know, this, this was sort of a gradual realization for me. And then when I got out uh, and I had access to the Internet again, and I started to realize that there were all these other ways, like all, the, all these other points at which race can play a role, such as, you know, rebounding from something like this. Um, you know, there's there's some data I've read that uh, that white people with a record are more likely to get hired than black people without one, and you know that that's kind of shocking. I certainly can't look back at anyone's job and say, oh, I I would not have gotten hired if I were a minority in this job. But I know that overall, statistically, it's true, and I I think that that's something that sometimes people struggle with when they you know they'll ask me. At, at, well, at what point did this play a role? And I, I sort of can't point to any one thing and say definitively race was the factor here. But I can say that, you know, there's all these different points at which it's really likely that it played a role. And, it, you know, statistically, looking at the data, it looks like it likely played a role. If I can jump in, um, one thing I, you know, kind of as you're talking, I thought was a little bit interesting. So obviously, you know, the word felon, you know, it carries a cert, as you know, a certain stigma. But in reality, it's an umbrella term for, you know, a, a, a host of different things, you know, ranging from, you know, kind of what happened with you, but then, you know, somewhat much more like violent crimes. Um, why does society attach so much stigma to felons, given that, you know, kind of the breadth of those crimes, and some are just so much worse than others. I mean, is this failure to properly rehabilitate people holding back society and the economy? Well, uh, to answer your your first question, I think that uh, part of the reason people attach the stigma to felons is because a lot of people think of felons as rapists and murderers, and it's actually, you know, as you said, a much broader class. I mean, this can include drunk driving charges, even in situations where no one's actually been injured. Um, not to minimize the severity of drunk driving, but I, I'm just saying I think that's not what a lot of people think of when they think of a felon. Um, so I, I think that that's part of the reason why there's this stigma, because 
people sort of just assume this means murderers and rapists. You know, and, and also, you know, felonies don't go away in most states. In some states, there are options to expunge or seal your record. Um, but something that's 20 years old can have just as much impact on your ability to get a job as something that's five years old. It really just depends on how employers ask, how they ask about it, and how they choose to take time to account. If I can ask you a personal question, Carrie, when you were looking at jobs after um, your experience in prison, how did you handle that question? So my my first job at the at the, at the Times, it it was not a question because everybody <laughs> knew it was a small town. Like there was no chance somebody was unaware. Right. Um, so, uh, you know, it's, it's a small, very liberal town, and, um, you know, this was just sort of, uh, it was a nice little homey paper and a, a nice community. So it was not as likely to affect me there in that job. Okay. But that then moving up to the other the other places. Right. So, so since then, um, I've, I've found that, you know, I've applied for a number of jobs, and I've only had one job that asked about it and actually called me back. Every other time that I've had to check the box, uh, I've never gotten a call back. You know, I've never heard anything. Um, although I've, I've gotten a you know, decent call back rate on jobs that I did not have to check the box. So that's not a definitive study or any conclusion, but you know, it, it anecdotally, it, does, it has seemed to make a difference in my personal experience with employment. My current job is the only one that I've ever checked off the box for and not only gotten a call back, but then actually got hired. Um, the Daily News did not ask, and the Ethical Times did not ask, although I sort of assumed that in journalism, employers would be likely to Google you. So I, I, I sort of assumed <laughs> that in my case, people know. But I do think that when and whether they ask uh, is sort of indicative of how they're they're going to handle the answer. Right. Now, now we talk about how many people are in prison in this country Thinking about your own experience, how many of the people you saw during your time in prison should not have been there, in your opinion, or were serving too long relative to the crimes they committed? I mean, I think I think that's a, a really hard question to answer. But uh, but one thing that I I did notice is that I I feel like uh, you know in a lot of cases, you know, well, in in almost all cases, prison did not help. It's not like uh, somebody went to prison and came out and was better able to address life. Like that's that's pretty rare that someone comes out and does better after prison than they did before. So uh, so in in that sense, you know, almost you know, almost no one should should be there if that's the measure. If the goal is rehabilitation, of course, the goal is not solely rehabilitation. Part of the goal of prison is punishment. So, you know, that's a more subjective thing I probably can't really speak to. All right. Well, we're going to take a break for a uh, word from our sponsor, and we'll be back shortly. Brought to you by Bank of America Merrill Lynch. Seeing what others have seen, but uncovering what others may not global research that helps you harness disruption. Voted top global research firm five years running. Merrill Lynch, Pierce, Fenner & Smith, Incorporated. All right, welcome back. Uh, so well, let's talk a little bit more about the economic issues around the job market. 
uh, you know, obviously you had one experience, Kerry, at, at, at a uh, facility in upstate New York, uh, but, you know, they're with, with 2 million people in prison nationwide uh, and many more people with a criminal record. Um, what percentage of people would you actually say are uh, are employable, and and should employers be more open to people who are desperately trying to get back in the world? It's really hard to say uh, what what percentage of people getting out are employable. You know, everyone comes out with a different skill set and you know a different mindset as to whether they're interested in in being rehabilitated. But I think that generally, if people are in a position where they're making the effort to look for employment, that's probably a good indicator that they're interested in some amount of rehabilitation. Uh, I mean, obviously, employers are going to take into consideration different things, like how long it's been since the crime was committed and, you know, uh, what the crime was. I, I think that employers, uh, you know, should consider not dismissing felons as a whole, uh, because obviously some are interested in rehabilitation and can make great employees. Let me ask you a question, Carrie, about um, kind of, again, a little bit personal. When you were there, how many people did you see actively trying to take advantage of resources that were available to them to support rehabilitation or to support a more successful job search um, upon their release? Was that common? Well, there aren't really a whole lot of resources to do that behind bars. Okay. Uh, you know, if you're in, incarcerated in a state prison, you're, you know, you're you're far from home, so it's not like you can sort of start a job search or anything to to get on your feet from behind bars. Right. There are limited college programs, and you know those those are typically full. People are interested in those. Uh, okay. You know, so. I mean, I know one woman who uh, was a very inspirational story to me anyways. She came in with uh, no high school degree, and she got her GED, and then she started pre-college classes. And then by the time she was ready to be released, uh, she had gotten a college degree behind bars. That's incredible. uh, So I think that's an example of someone who's obviously trying to make the most of the resources. But those resources are, are very limited. So are they limited in the sense that there are, you know, just there's so few and the few offerings that are made get filled up really quickly? Or are they limited yeah. in that, like, there aren't, there isn't a lot of demand? Uh, no, there, there's, it's, it's the they're limited in that there's not a lot of resources and that they fill up quickly. There's also, uh, you know, there are, are also vocational classes, um, which uh, are, I think, not as useful to as many people, but, you know, people take them. There's GED classes. People take those. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, what, what people do to fill their time in prison doesn't always translate to what's going to happen on the outside. Uh, so, th- so that can be, you know, that can be problematic. But people that have completed some college education in prison have a lower recidivism rate than those that haven't. Let, let me ask you about the, the national landscape for uh, prison reform or sentencing reform. Uh, you know, we've the country has elected Donald Trump as president. Uh, the Republicans hold both houses of Congress. Trump's platform was was largely law and order. He supports prison privatization. Doesn't want to restore voting rights to uh, to ex felons. Uh, at the same time, there is kind of this bipartisan sense that you know some of the sentencing laws were were too strict people are getting too long sentences for things like drug possession obviously and that you know that that benefited you 
with the sentencing laws being changed just before um, I think you you went to prison. What do you make of the landscape on these issues right now? Um, what, what do you think is going to happen? Well, I, I think that there has been strong bipartisan support for change uh, for a number of years now. And I, I don't think that a Trump presidency would unilaterally change that. And, and just, um, you know, one more personal question. How have you been able to stay clean all these years, Carrie? Uh, for me, that was a lot about finding something else to fill the spot in my life that heroin took up. Uh, and for me, that's been uh, journalism, has, you know, has been uh, something I could really throw myself into. And I, I think that for a, a lot of people who stay clean, it's about finding something else to, to fill that spot to help you become a different person than the person that you were back then. Uh, well, let, let's come back to uh, the, uh, you know, the, the prison population, the prospects for economic growth. You, you have this tight job market these days. There, there are employers who complain that they, they can't find workers. You know, we, we've been talking about how, you know, maybe, maybe employers are too strict with not giving felon, uh, ex-felons a look in their job applications. Uh, Donald Trump says he wants to put 25 million people back to work and double the rate of growth. Is it possible to do that? You think without turning to uh, people who are who are out of prison for for uh, criminal convictions, Carrie? Well, I'm not an economist, so I, I'm probably not that qualified to answer that question. But I I think anyone can say that it's easier to make that a possibility if felons are more readily included in the job market. Yeah. Let me ask you a question, Carrie. Personally, just kind of like adding a little bit of color to this. Did you see people that you knew um, while you were in prison struggle to find jobs, even though, you know, knowing them personally, they were perfectly capable? Yes. Um, there's, there's been, I, I, I see, you know, on my Facebook feed, I have, uh, you know, I keep in touch with a lot of people and I, I do see a lot of them struggling to find employment. Uh, and, and I think that makes it hard to stay on the right track if, if that's, uh, if that's a big stumbling block. Uh, I, I see that there are certain fields in which people seem to have more luck. Uh, I, it seems that a lot of people that are doing well have gone into advocacy and nonprofit work, and that seems to be a field that is currently relatively open-minded to hiring people with a criminal background. Mm -hmm. But uh, some people that have backgrounds in other fields, it, it's much more difficult. All right. Well, Carrie, let's leave it there. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. This has been a really uh, fascinating discussion. And, uh, you know, I'm personally gratified that uh, that, that journalism has that, that, you, that you're part of our profession and, and that, you know, that, that it's helped you uh, stay clean, like, like you said, to give you that drive in your life. Well, thank you. And thanks for having me on today. All right. Benchmark will be back next week. And until then, you can find us on the Bloomberg Terminal and Bloomberg.com, as well as on iTunes, Pocket Casts, and Stitcher. While you're there, take a minute to rate and review the show so more listeners can find us. And let us know what you thought of the show. You can talk to us and follow us on Twitter at Scott Lanman. You can find me at by Kate Smith. And uh, you can also find our guest, Carrie, at at Carrie BLA. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Brought to you by Bank of America Merrill Lynch. 
of seeing what others have seen, but uncovering what others may not. Global research that helps you harness disruption. Voted top global research firm five years running. Merrill Lynch, Pierce, Fenner & Smith, Incorporated. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.